Someone's already introduced me, but I'm Ali, in case you didn't know, and I'm one of the site pastors here. Uh, And we are uh, continuing in our series on 2 Corinthians, uh, Paul's letter to the Corinthian church. Uh, We've titled this series called Weak But Strong. And um, in this uh, series, we we see the kind of contrast uh, between how the world acts and how Paul is urging and pleading uh, the Corinthian church to act. And um, you can find uh, it's on page 872 of these house Bibles here. Uh, So we've only got two Bibles today. We're limited edition. We're going to need to order more. So if anyone needs a Bible, then uh, Linda, you can pass around, stick up your hand, uh, and you can read it from there. It's also going to appear on the screen, or if you have a mobile device that has an app function, then you'll be able to find a Bible of some kind, I'm sure. The YouVersion Bible is the app I would recommend. Very easy to use. Um, So there you go. Uh, For many of you, you know me. I love films, and um, I really love trilogies. I mean... Sometimes one film isn't enough, isn't it? Is it? You've got to have a beginning, middle, and end film almost, don't you? Not even just in the film, but actually another film for a film for a film. Yeah. Um, but I've realized recently that for some reason, the Hollywood bigwigs, the producers, whoever they are, have realized that three films isn't enough, that there needs to be more. So a prime example is Toy Story 4. It's, it was like a perfect trilogy, and then they made another one. I've not seen it yet. Has anyone seen Toy Story 4? One word review? Good? Great? Cool. Yeah. Okay. Am I going to see it then? So, Toy Story 4. You've got Oceans. They make, they're remaking Oceans. They're making 8, 9, eight, nine and 10 after 11, 12, 13. You know, there's all Star Wars. I mean, they were trilogy, trilogy, trilogy. Um, Lord of the Rings. They then made The Hobbit, which was shorter than all the books combined, and they made three films out of one book. I mean, so many films. But one trilogy that they made a quadrilogy I was really, really annoyed about was Indiana Jones. Indiana Jones. They made the fourth film when Harrison Ford was like 66. I don't even class it as an Indiana Jones film. In my mind, there are three Indiana Jones films. There is not a fourth one. And the first one, if you've seen it, is probably one of the greatest entrances to a movie trilogy ever. Uh, He comes in. We see a shadow of this man with two intrepid explorers with him. One guy points a gun at at this guy with a hat on in the dark. And he then whips out it. He whips out his whip. He cracks his whip, he takes the gun off this guy, and then he steps out into the light. And you see Indiana Jones with his cap, his uh, satchel, man bags before they were cool, and his, and his whip. And at that moment, I was like, I want to be Indiana Jones. I think my dad was like, do you want to be an, archeo- an archaeologist? And I was like, no, 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 I want to be Indiana Jones. So the start of the first film is uh, Indiana Jones is, goes into this uh, deep, dark cave in part of South America, and... Um, He's got to navigate past all these traps. There's, uh, there's a big giant chasm. There's uh, some things that shoot poisonous arrows. Uh, there's uh, various different things. And then he gets to where he wants to be. There's this uh, ancient artifact, this gold idol that he wants to take back to a museum. And he goes up to it, and it's almost like the gold idol is sitting there. And he does this thing where he tries and gets a bag of sand to weigh the same as the idol, to put it on, and then very quickly take it off and run away. But if you've seen the film, you'll know that that doesn't work. And all of a sudden, it's like all these traps come out to try and chase him away. So there's a giant boulder chasing him. There's all these arrows. There's all these things happening. And Indiana Jones, because he's Indiana Jones, manages to escape with this idol. And the reason that I'm telling you the first 10 minutes of Indiana Jones is not so you don't have to watch it anymore, because I would recommend you do. But the reason I am is because sometimes that is how we treat our hearts. 
we can have our hearts closed off to anyone about, filled with traps for any intrepid explorers that want to come near. And we can be like, stay away. Don't come near me. I don't want to do that. And the reason, and the truth is, that because probably for many of us who've been around a long enough time, is we've been hurt by people. That's just the reality. We've been hurt, and that can be painful. And we don't want that to happen again. So we put our defenses up. But for those of us who are Christians today, what Paul is speaking about in 2 Corinthians 6 uh, is he's talking about the fact that we need to live with an open heart. That is the challenge for us all. The Corinthian church, they'd been critical of Paul's behavior. They'd been grumpy with him. Uh, They'd wanted other people to oversee them, not himself. They questioned his integrity, his character, and his attributes. And Paul's plea to them that we see the climax of this in chapter 6 is he says this. He says in verses 11 to 13, open your heart. Open your heart. And what he does is he changes the language from plural to singular. He's speaking directly to them personally, heart to heart. He says, don't get closed off. Don't fill your heart with traps that when people come near, they'll get stung by that. But live with an open heart to others and to Jesus. And this is the challenge that Paul gives to the Corinthian church and to us this morning in Stonehaven. Open your heart. But how do we live with an open heart? That's what we're going to look at today. That's our question today. And we're going to read 2 Corinthians 6, starting in verse 3. I'll just read it out now. It says this, We put no stumbling block in anyone's path so that our ministry will not be discredited. Rather, as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way, in great endurance, in troubles, hardships and distresses, in beatings, imprisonments and riots, in hard work, sleepless nights and hunger, in purity, understanding, patience and kindness, in the Holy Spirit and in sincere love, in truthful speech and in the power of God, with weapons of righteousness in the right hand and in the left, through glory and dishonor, bad report and good report, genuine yet regarded as impostors, known yet regarded as unknown, dying and yet we live on, beaten and yet not killed, sorrowful yet always rejoicing, poor yet making making many rich, having nothing and yet possessing everything. We have spoken freely to you, Corinthians, and opened our hearts wide to you. We are not withholding our affection from you, but you are withholding yours from us. As a fair exchange, I speak as to my children. Open your heart wide also. Why don't we just pray as we delve into the scripture? Father God, we thank you uh, for this time together. We thank you for your word. And Lord, I just pray, would you speak to each one of us today? Holy Spirit, would you come? Would you push buttons where they need to be pushed? Would you open us up where we need to be open? Would you give us ears to hear your word today, Lord? In Jesus' name, amen. So, as I said, our question is, how do we live with an open heart? I'm just going to get a drink of water now. 
You all just heard me drink that on the microphone, so that was a treat for you. Um, Paul challenges that. He challenges us and the church today, how do we live with an open heart? The first thing we do is we extinguish the power of offence. So the purpose of this letter is Paul's to affirm, he wants to affirm his ministry, he wants to defend his authority, and also he wants to refute uh, those who are uh, kind of false teachers kind of infiltrating the church. It must have been a tough letter to write and a tough letter to hear. I guess we were getting the kind of end of this section, and that is quite hard to hear what he's saying there. But he's urging the church uh, to not be closed off, but pleading with them uh, to open their hearts to him. Open their hearts to him, open their hearts to Jesus. And the first way is that we extinguish the power of offense. In verse 3, it says, Paul said, we put no stumbling block in anyone's path so that our ministry will not be discredited. Paul's speaking for himself and he's speaking for the other apostles and church planters around in the region and also across the world that are sharing the good news of Jesus after uh, the explosion of the early church, which we can read through the book of Acts. He's speaking on behalf of them all just to make it incredibly clear that the sole purpose of him coming, of him being part of the church, of him growing and building that church, is to share the gospel, to share the good news. And he wants nothing else to get in the way. He doesn't want anything to get in the way that would maybe just distract or make people um, see any of Paul, but actually he wants people to see Jesus first and foremost. And he's challenging people he encounters to turn to Jesus. He's doing that, but he's not doing anything that would uh, make them stray from that life of following Jesus or in any way that dishonors Jesus. He's been incredibly clear that his priority is Jesus and the gospel being preached and nothing else. And he always considered his actions and what they uh, communicated about himself and about Jesus. And he was careful so that no one missed the message, as opposed to thinking about that one thing that he said, a kind of maybe a, a throwaway line, but rather that actually he was incredibly deliberate with what he said so that people would be like, okay, Paul, he's speaking about Jesus. That's the message that I need to hear. However, it appears that Corinth and the church in Corinth, whenever Paul was preaching, they were offended by what he said. I'll show you just this in Acts 18, history of Paul and Corinth. Verses 3 to 4, Paul did everything he could to meet uh, where the Corinthians were at. He met them in their own context. He worked as a tent maker, which was a trade that was popular there at the time. He worked as that, a trade he was skilled in so that he could get alongside people and, and share Jesus with them. He reasoned with both Jews and Greeks in the synagogue, and he did that every Sabbath. He was respectful of their culture within that. And also it says in verses 9 to 11 of Acts 18 was that he stayed for 18 months while he was in Corinth. So he wasn't there just flashing the pan, bang, see you later, but he was there for a long time, working with those in the church, working with those who don't know Jesus, sharing the gospel. But we see in Acts 18, the people in Corinth, they were offended. Verse 6, the Jews became abusive to him. Verse 12, they made a united attack against Paul. Verse 17, they attacked one of their own people who defended Paul because they were so outraged. And we see in 1 Corinthians and then in 2 Corinthians how uh, he, Paul is having to sort out grievances that the church have about what he said and what he's done. But he's saying, I'm doing everything I can to show Jesus in a loving way. 
I don't want to put anything in your way. But you continue to get offended. And he's having a heart to heart here with the church. Just saying, live with that open heart. You've got to, to live with an open heart. You've got to extinguish the power of offense. And the society that we live in today, it's really easy to get offended. It's, it's almost like a default setting that we can have in defended. I mean, just if you don't believe me, look at social media. Look at anything that anyone posts on social media. People have to be incredibly careful now what they put because then someone's like, oh, I'm offended by that. Or I don't agree with that, therefore I have a right to say that actually that's not right. And I would love it if our default setting wasn't that as a church. If we were known for people that we weren't just offended by things, but actually that we had a different default setting. And I believe that Jesus is speaking to us today about that. And what I believe is that we shouldn't be uh, having a default setting of offence, but actually of wisdom, of listening and acceptance. And almost the words I heard today, this morning while I was taking Levi for a walk, were these words. It was, tell me your story. Because every opinion that we maybe find difficult, that maybe we find, there's a story behind it, isn't there? And I just feel that almost God's saying that today. Tell me your story. Rather than being like, oh, barriers are up straight away. But actually, that, there's a story behind that opinion. And I want to know it. I want to hear it over a, a coffee or a beer or a fresh orange and lemonade or whatever your drink of choice is. Tell me your story. And we don't want to be people that create division, but people that create unity. We do, uh, the power of offense can be destabilized. We want to stabilize. We want to knit people together and bring them towards Jesus. So tell me your story. And there are three things that if you've done basic science, I did chemistry. I think I got a two at standard grade before they changed things that there's no longer standard grade doesn't exist anymore i got a two chemistry but i remember that three basic things that create a fire and if i'm wrong you can keep me right right oxygen that's one isn't it yeah you're so impressed right now i've got a physics teacher in the room this is this is nerve-wracking heat yeah fuel yes tim's nodding it's all good oxygen heat fuel those are three things that make a fire you get all those in that mix you've got fireball or a fire anyway, but a fireball. Let's go for that. Oxygen. Think about this. Oxygen, that is like life circumstances. Oxygen is all around us. These things happen. Everything is there. People are there. Oxygen, what other people do, we can't do anything about that. That's life. What we do, that's life. Oxygen, it's always there. But heat, that's how we react to what someone else brings, what someone else says. And then fuel is then we bring other people into that. We say, you know when you've been, you maybe had a really bad meal somewhere, and you'll, the stats go that if you've been to a restaurant, you've had poor service, you'll tell 10 people. If you've been to a restaurant and had, and had a good meal, you'll, you'll tell one. But we always like, if, if we had a bad meal, we'll tell everyone in our neighbor, won't we? And it can be sometimes like, we've been offended, like, oh, never guess what they've said to me. But for the fire to happen, all three things, fuel, oxygen, heat, need to be there. If one of those isn't present, it doesn't happen. So to extinguish the fire of offense, we can take away how we react. We can take away that heat. We can take away sharing that with others. And then we can just say, rather than being offended, I want to accept I want to hear your story. I want to have wisdom for you. And I want to have love for you. 
We can do that. Wouldn't it be amazing if we were a place that was known of, they will, we say, come as you are. And if people knew, we know that, but if people outside these walls knew that and said, come as you are, that's a place where I can go. Whatever state I'm in, they'll love and accept me. They'll hear me out. I'll be able to tell my story. To live with an open heart, we need to extinguish the power of offense. To live with an open heart, we also need to exercise encouragement. The eagle-eyed among you, you can maybe see that E is the key letter today. Um, to ex- we, we want to flip that almost. We, don't, we want to take away offense. We want to flip that, and we want to exercise encouragement within that. And um, yeah, I appreciate that. I'm encouraged by that. Uh, verse 4, rather, so rather than um, being putting those stubborn blocks, as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way. Instead of choosing offense, Paul urges the church to follow the example of him and the apostles and commend one another and encourage one another. John Maxwell, a well-known Christian leader in the business world, also just a great speaker on leadership, says, encouragement is oxygen for the soul. Think about that. Instead of that, Oxygen being just life circumstances. What can we breathe into places? Oxygen, well, that encouragement, that encouragement. And um, to live with an open heart means we need to exercise encouragement. Says, Paul says we need to commend one another in great endurance, and that's what that list that we read, that's what that's all about, endurance. We'll get onto that. But um, he wants our default setting to be that open heart, that one is of encouraging one another. Now, for... For many of you, you will know that Jill and I have a 16-month-old called Levi, uh, or his his, uh, full name, Levi Joshua. I like to call him LJ for short, because I think that's quite cool. Um, You can debate with me if you don't think so. Um, But Levi, ever ever since he's been born, pretty much his goal in life has been to walk, has been to move around, has been to achieve. He wakes up every day, he's like, like, I want to achieve something today, do a new thing. And um, sometimes that's amazing, because you're like, first steps, walking, magical moments, so good. Other times that can be a bit more challenging when he's a bit more stubborn, he knows his own mind, he'll let you know that if you're not doing his will, then he'll let you know about that. And also sometimes he decides the day starts at half four in the morning. So, um, you know, it has its challenges. But his, I love his desire to achieve. I love his desire to learn. I love the fact that he wants to, to just take life by the horns and, and get every single second out of it. And the thing I've noticed that spurs him on the most is encouragement. When Jill or I are there, and and when he was taking his first steps, we're like, come on, Levi, you can do it, clapping him on. He's like, yeah, I can do it. And then he starts, like, now now that he walks, he's like, you can do like a wee swagger. He's like, ooh. (laughs) Look up at the sky, I don't know why. Um, But he loves that. He loves that when people clap him on. He loves when people encourage him. So much so that when he's around my family, they encourage him an awful lot. And it's so lovely, but almost to the extent that anytime he like stands up, he's like looking for a clap. We're like, okay, maybe we need to work on that. Um, but the point is, and I th- the point is, is that the human heart, we thrive on encouragement, don't we? Think about pivotal, life-changing moments in your life. Those ones that are positive, that have set you off in the right direction, have probably, the catalyst has been someone encouraging you. We may pretend we don't like encouragement. We may pretend, I don't need that. Or we hide behind humility. But our heart cry is to be known and to be loved and accepted and actually just 
that we're doing a good job. That's what we all want to know. That what we do matters and someone will say well done. And the truth is, Scripture tells us that when we end this life, we will have the well done for our, from our eternal Father. He will say, well done, good and faithful servant. That's encouraging. We can live with that hope and promise, but also we can bring some of God's kingdom onto this earth. Right now, when we live with an open heart and we bring encouragement to one another and we bring encouragement to the world who needs encouragement, we bring encouragement to that person who's in our uh, classroom or in our workspace that no one ever speaks to, but we notice and we say, I want to encourage you. When we bring encouragement to that person on the bus that we sit beside every day, but we never speak to, when we bring encouragement to that person that we see walking on the street, wherever that looks like, we can bring some of the kingdom of Jesus onto earth when we exercise that encouragement. We can bring encouragement to each one of us. We can bring encouragement to those outside. And I would guarantee you that we might think, oh, they don't need encouragement, or they get encouraged all the time. Everyone can do with encouraging. Hebrews 10.24 says, Let us spur one another on to love and good deeds. Let us foster that exercise of encouragement. And encouragement is a muscle that needs to be used uh, over and over. When we get more used to it, then we, we get better at it. So what I want you to do, something really practical now, is maybe you're taking uh, writing notes down, or you're, you're on your, you've got a phone and you're writing notes down on, or whatever. I would like you to either take out your notepad or your phone right now. Do it. It's all right. The preacher has said you can take out your phone in church. That's okay. Go to your notes app. That's the next step. Notes app, everyone. And what I'm going to do is I'm just going to pray for us in a second. But what I'd love us is when we're praying, just to be asking God, maybe maybe for some of us we're not Christians here and that's okay, maybe just to think about this of a name of someone I can encourage this week. Maybe there's someone in church, maybe there's someone out with. Maybe there's someone who is at the start of a journey, maybe there's someone that's at the end of a journey. Maybe there's someone that's in the middle of something right now. Maybe there's someone that you know is going through a tough time. Maybe there's someone you know that is actually, it seems on the surface, everything's going well. Just love for you to write that person's name down and then encourage them this week. But I'm just going to pray. So Holy Spirit, we just pray now. Will you just, for each one of us, will you just drop a name into our head of the person we are to encourage? I pray that you'd give us the courage to exercise that encouragement. Maybe whether through a text or a phone call or um, face-to-face, maybe a letter. And I pray that for that person, that encouragement would be life-changing. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well done, everyone. You can put your phones away now or keep it on a Bible app. Uh, and, and I would just encourage you to do that this week. Encourage that person, whoever that might be. Um, so to live with an open heart, we uh, extinguish the power of offense, we exercise encouragement, and three, we embrace endurance. You can see the ease coming now, can't you? Uh, he says we should commend 
we should encourage. And then he provides a lot, Paul provides a long list of what we should commend one another in. Verses 4 to 10, Paul says uh, that this is what he's endured, his hardships, and he's making a heartfelt plea to the church to say that what he has gone through is for the sake of them and the sake of Jesus. And in this list, there are three uh, different categories, and there are nine things in each category. So the first thing he lists, he lists nine battles, nine hardships that he's faced. Beatings, imprisonments, riots, hunger, sleepless nights. Then there's nine blessings that as he's gone through these things, these are the things that he's encountered, that he's received from God. He's received purity, patience, truthful speech, the power of God, the Holy Spirit. All these things are things that as he's been going through these battles, he's been getting these blessings. And then he's got nine balances, things where there's some good and there's some, some tough stuff as well, where there's been bad reports, but there's also been good reports. There's been sorrow, but there's also been rejoicing. There's been poor and there's also been rich. If we use our uh, title for this series, there's been moments of weakness, but moments where he's received strength from the Lord. He's showing the the Corinthian church that the Christian life is a mixture of battles and blessings. And if you've been a follower of Jesus for any time, you will know that to be true. um, However, sometimes as Christians, we can make it sound like that isn't true. So to, to demonstrate, I have a visual aid here and I have a visual helper of Dave. Dave Brown is my visual helper. You can give Dave a cheer. So, the first, first time sometimes in life, as Christians, we can make life sound like it's all glory, it's all celebration, it's all going well. And that is like Dave carrying this rucksack without anything in it. There's nothing in it. It's all far too easy. And it's all like, oh, okay, how on earth is your load so light? That doesn't feel like real life, does it? No. It doesn't happen. That's not true. It's going to annoy my wife, sorry. (laughs) You look much cooler now, Dave, though. (laughs) So that's the first option. We can live live life like that, can't we? The second is that it's all gloomy. It's all filled with trouble. And this is... Now, Dave, you're going to have to do your best Oscar-winning performance now. Uh, This is... It's difficult infiltration. It's like carrying this bag full of books. And as you can see, it's incredibly difficult to pick up. And, and it's like the bag is like torn at the sides. It's all manky. There's, it's, just, it's just life is tough. It's falling apart at the seams. The third way that we can live. <laughs> the third way that we can live. And the reality is that life is both battles and blessings. So actually, we still have the bag where things are going well. The strong bag on our back. We still have those things we need to endure. Those hardships. Yeah, I know. I filled it too big. There we go. We still have that, but it means that we carry them together in a path together, rather than it feeling like, oh, it's only one thing or the other, but actually, it's all the things together. Well done, Dave. So you carry that? You wear that? It's much easier to carry now, isn't it? Yes, well done, Dave. You can sit down. We all have difficult things that we have to carry. I I know some of your situations. I don't know all of your situations. But the truth is, as Christians, that we can carry that 
and have help with that. Matthew 11 says, Jesus says, cast on to me, come to me all who are weary. My yoke is easy, my burden is light. One Peter says, cast my anxieties onto, onto him because he cares for you. Jesus' death on the cross means that we can carry our burdens like that rucksack. That's almost like the cross. For me, when I was thinking about that illustration, it was almost like that. The image of the cross was that that was the rucksack that we were carrying our burdens, our battles, and our blessings on. To live with an open heart, we need to embrace endurance, knowing that we will encounter battles as well as blessing, and ultimately that Jesus carries that weight. We need to keep walking, putting one foot in front of the other, but he carries, because he's big enough, he is strong enough for all the things that we carry. And Paul finishes this chapter with this plead, as we talked about at the start, to the Corinthians. He says, open your heart wide. He's shown his vulnerabilities. He's taken away distractions from anything that would uh, distract from the message. He's encouraged the church. He's embraced that endurance. And he says, I speak to you as, I, as, I, as, as my children. Open wide your hearts also. That is Paul's heart cry to the Corinthian church and to us. I believe as well that's the heart cry of Jesus today for us. Open your heart wide. Whether we've known him all our life, whether we've never met Jesus before, he's here today, standing in front of each one of us, and he calls each one of us. He says, my heart is open. I've not withheld my affection from you. Come and open your heart as well. Come and follow me. Allow me to heal you, to encourage you, to equip you, to grow you, to strengthen you, and to love. That's the challenge for us today, to live with that open heart. Why don't we stand and I'll pray for us.